0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Amp Up the Impact, Nine Ways to Improve Safety and Productivity Through Identification, sponsored by Brady Corporation. My name is Barry Botino. I'm an Associate Editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first, I'd like to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible. Because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. So any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast today, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I'll let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's get started. Our speakers today will be Tom Smith and Anicia Peterman. Tom is a regional product manager at Brady Corporation and is responsible for the company's safety and facility identification products. Anisia's hands-on experience in safety for the past 15 years has included working at the plant level, conducting safety walks, and providing recommendations. Again, we thank all of you for tuning in to this presentation today. Tom and Anisia, whenever you're ready, take it away.
1: All right. Thanks, Barry. Um, Thanks for that introduction. Welcome, everyone. If you're on the... East Coast, uh, good afternoon, and if you're closer to the West Coast, good morning. Our topic today is to look at ways that we can improve safety and productivity through identification and basically trying to amp up the impact of the visuals. And um, our brains typically are wired more as image processors and not word processors, so that's why we're kind of focusing on a lot of visual information to help both safety, maintenance, and Lean 5S professionals to kind of take it to the next level. You know, it's no wonder that Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube have all dominated the social media platforms of late. Um, At its core is visual imagery, right? And it's basically what all three are built upon. There was a study some time ago by the University of um, California, San Diego, and it claimed that the average person consumes around 34 gigabytes of information per day. And I want to say that study is probably about seven or eight years old. So it, you know, it may be increasing over that number. Um, and it's also been reported that we see between 3,000 and 5,000 ads and brand images per day. So with all that info coming at us, the challenge for us as safety professionals and maintenance and and Lean 5S professionals, is how do we rise above all of that clutter within our facilities and kind of amp up the impact to both improve our safety and productivity? So that's what Anissia and I are going to cover. So let's dig in. Anissia, why don't you say hi to the group so they get a voice?
2: Hello, everyone.
1: Anissia is my co-conspirator for this. Um, session, and these are kind of the nine areas that we're going to briefly touch on. I'll cover the first four, then Anisia will jump in and cover the next group, and then I'll kind of wrap things up with um, how to decide whether, you know, buying things like pre-printed visual identification versus printing your own is, is the best bet for your facility. All right, so let's get started and talk a little bit about GHS labeling. When it comes to hazardous chemical labeling, we have to do it, right? The OSHA-HASCOM GHS regulation requires us to notify our employees of the hazards they're working with, and it's, it's a good thing. With GHS, as you guys know, we're required to put six key elements on the primary label. Those six elements are like the signal word, which is either danger or warning, the pictograms, the hazard and precautionary statements, the chemical name or identifier, and then the company contact information. It's a good practice when you are when you guys are looking at GHS labels. It's a good practice to not only have your primary labels um, formatted in a GHS label format, but also have your secondary containers formatted the same way because that simply simplifies training. We do see some customers that continue to use the NFPA diamond format, and that's okay for secondary container labels, but just be aware that that does cause a training issue in that you have to train on two different systems if if you elect to go that route. Um, And when it comes to labeling, we see the full gamut, right? So our our goal here is to kind of give you guys um, some recommendations based on best practices that we see in the field as product managers. Um, We're not here to sell you on one particular method or the other, but kind of lay out the options and kind of give you guys the, the best practices that we see so you can help kind of take your organization to the next level. And we do see things like that simple green jug, believe it or not, on the left side of the screen where somebody just hand writes the, the chemical name on there. It's not common and it's obviously not something that we would recommend, but um, we have seen that. Um, the other option that you have when it comes to GHS labeling is you could just simply buy custom preprinted labels um, from your label supplier, Um, or you could invest in software and a print system to print those labels um, ourselves. And there's pros and cons to each. The time savings kind of depends on your situation. One of the first questions we need to ask is how many chemicals or chemical containers do we have in our facility that require labeling? If you only need a few labels, say 25, 50, 75, or 100, your lowest cost is probably going to be purchasing those pre-printed labels. Um, And I'll show you a cost comparison at the end, as I mentioned. But um, if you want to save time, um, simply go to your label supplier. If you've got those small quantities, give them the SDS sheets. Tell them what you want in terms of what size labels. Um, A typical batch might be 50 custom 4x6 vinyl labels. And that's generally going to cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of $3 to $4 per label. And if it's a company like Brady Um, we do those on a day-in, day-out basis, and we take the SDS sheets, we take all of that information, create the label for you, and just ship you the label so that you don't have to do a lot of the work. So when you're looking for suppliers and you need GHS labels, that is certainly a a viable option for you. Um, If you don't want to wait, and let's say you need to print hundreds of different types of labels or even thousands of different types of labels, um, you can certainly print those yourselves on demand with a print system where you, you don't have to wait in the mail for, or in the, uh, uh, for shipping of those pre-printed labels. Um, there I'd recommend looking at a print system, and even almost as important or more important than the print system is to look at the software that's going to drive that print system. Um, it will save you time, and it will cut your label cost in half with the right software. Now that GHS has been out for several years, there are suppliers that have GHS labeling software to make your life easier, save time, and and ultimately save save money. So when you're looking for software, look for programs that eliminate the number of keystrokes that you have to make. Um, You you want software that has very simple, straightforward drop-down menus. You certainly don't want to have to type in all the hazard and precautionary statements, because that could take us forever. Um, Also, look for software that pre-formats the labels and gives you a wide range of sizes to choose from, right? Because sometimes you can't anticipate all of the sizes of your containers or the labels that you're going to need. So look for software that gives you that kind of complete wide range of sizes, from, say, something small to a one-by-two label, one-by-two-inch label, to maybe something all the way up to 55-gallon drums, which are typically like 8.5 by 11 or 8 by 10 size labels, or for the large like, IBC totes. So look for software that also helps you from making a mistake. Look for things like smart software. You know, it's kind of funny, Anicia. I, um, I was doing a... I'm looking, because my, my daughter's in college and she's graduating in another um, couple months looking for auto insurance, and so I was doing some Googling online for insurance rates, and one of the cool things now is when I put my name and address in, all of a sudden it pulled up the vehicles that we have in our household, the serial numbers, the VIN numbers of the vehicle, the ages of my wife and I, um, and it started pre-populating some of the critical information for that quote without me having to type it in. So when you're looking for GHS software, look for things that have kind of those smarts built into it. And one of the things that um, you may run into, and it's part of the GHS standard, is that when you're labeling a chemical container and the label that I show on the screen has got four diamonds in it with pictograms filling all four of those diamonds. So let's say you have a print system that you may have just a black and white printer and you need some label stock to, to print that with. Well, typically the lowest cost option is just buy one size label stock that you need with all four diamonds at least pre-printed on there Um, so that when you go to print the particular chemical, it will populate with all the black text and the black pictograms that you need. But let's say what happens if you buy this four-diamond label stock and a particular chemical you have only has three pictograms on it? Well, we know from the OSHA GHS regulation that it's a big no-no to have a blank diamond with nothing filled in. So one of the things that the software can do if you, if you get the right software and you look for smart software is it knows that regulation, it's got some of those parameters built in and will automatically black out that diamond so that you can get it correct the first time. Now the opposite of that is let's say you have chemicals where you need to print Three diamonds, some four diamonds on another chemical, and certainly you could you could buy all of those extra rolls of label stock of three diamond, four diamond, and different size labels. But really, to save inventory and to save time, the software can help you do that if you get the right kind of software. So, um, in this case, all you'd have to buy is four diamond software and the size that you need, and it will automatically print the number of diamonds that you need and black out the others. So just be aware that. There are companies that offer software that do that and that will save you a lot of headache and a lot of time. And obviously Brady is one of those companies that that does that because we're we're pretty much all about safety. All right. Um, So the other thing to look for in software um, is that look for a database of common chemicals that's already pre-populated. That will also save you some time. Um, Some of the chemical or some of the um, software suppliers like Brady have common chemicals already preloaded in the database so that when you select that chemical, for instance, it will populate the pictograms, the hazard and precautionary statements for you based on the chemical name or the cast number of that chemical. Then you only have to make some minor changes um, based on your specific SDS sheet and add your specific contact information from the SDS. Um, another helpful feature when looking at software is look for software that can change the language at the press of a button, right? Most software today in the U.S. is based on English, right? But if you have a largely Hispanic um, speaking uh, population in your workplace, you may want to change that and have those um, chemical labels also printed in Spanish along with English. Um, look for software that gives you the ability to do that at the press of a button as opposed to having to recreate those labels that will save you a ton of time when labeling your chemical containers as well and then lastly look for software that will allow you to structure your database files and folders um, in a fashion that's easy for you to recall them as well as reprint labels when needed so the screenshot that I'm showing here is from Brady's GHS software program for example I typed in ammonia Um, in the software and it pretty much did the rest. It filled in all the hazard precautionary statements, the pictograms, the signal word, et cetera. So all that's needed is just to make sure it matches my specific SDS for ammonia and then add our company specific information, emergency phone number, et cetera, and I'm good to go. Otherwise, if you work with a database provider, let's say you work with one of the the larger chemical database providers like MSDS Online, uh, I think SiteHawk is another, 3E might be another, The best of both worlds is to simply download that chemical data to your um, label straight away, so all you have to do is tell your printer, for example, what size label to print, and it will print it, and you don't have to populate that information. Um, We have uh, worked so far with a company called MSDS Online, so if you're one of their customers, um, you should see a facility to be able to print your MSDS labels directly via a Brady printer, onto the label without having to type in all of that that information, so look for something like that as well. Hopefully that's clear, a good software program will definitely save you time in the long run when it comes to GHS labeling and it's certainly worth its weight in gold. Okay, let me stay in the the, um, safety lane for a moment. How can we take our lockout tagout safety to the next level? what are some of the things that we can do to boost safety, reduce, minimize, and ensure that there are no accidents within our our facility? Obviously, the best approach when it comes to safety is to try to design safety into whatever it is we're working with, that particular piece of equipment. That is, installing equipment that's incapable of causing an injury, um, things like automatic guards, light curtains, dual switches, or otherwise conducting service away from the hazard zone. So, you know, create equipment that allows me to work on it or maintain it without putting any part of my body in a hazard zone. Obviously, if none of those things can be accomplished, and many can't for many reasons. We have to de-energize that equipment. We've got to lock it out, and we've got to communicate that lockout. Traditionally, our communication methods have largely been letting our colleagues know through the use of standardized lockout tags, labels, and signs. And the danger tag that I'm showing here on the left, we've been pretty much using for decades. It's kind of a standard tag. Um, In 2013, ANSI published its latest safety sign standards, which included the greater use of symbols, graphics, and pictograms. It recognized that that we process images much faster than text, We are a cross-cultural community, and many people don't have English as their first language. So those were kind of the precepts behind ANSI updating their standards. The one simple suggestion that um, we can do is humanize the tag, add the maintenance employee's picture to the tag regarding who's locking out the equipment, and when you think of it, our regulations are written as text and require a lot of text documentation. But safety is all about humans, right? It's about making sure that our coworkers, our friends, our husbands, our wives, all come home at the end of the day without an injury or fatality. Um, And when you put someone's picture um, on a tag, like the tag on the right, you humanize it. and You make it easy for others to not only find the right person, but suddenly it's not just a work instruction anymore, it's actually a coworker, it's a friend. You know, it's a person like us. It takes on a little bit of a different meaning when you humanize it. The color, photo, the pictogram, it immediately focuses our attention and tells us what not to do. And when you create personalized tags, you can also add your brand to them so you can tell whether it's, let's say, one of your employees that put the tag on that equipment or perhaps an outside contractor who placed the tag there. And there are several inkjet printers on the market today that can accomplish this pretty quickly and easily. Um, you can simply take a cell phone pic of the maintenance person, upload it as a JPEG, create and print from the tag from an inkjet printer. Um, it's quick and it's easy. And many of the tag stock today will meet the also meet the 50-pound pull requirement for the OSHA lockout/tagout regulation. Along with that. Um, also look at your isolation labels and tags. Another way to another simple way to enhance safety is to help your employees use the correct devices when they're locking out an energy point. In this example above, we've got a gate valve with liquid flowing through it. It's a good practice to label all of your energy isolation points and color code them based on the hazard that they represent. For example, the most electrical circuits are usually represented in red with a a lightning bolt green usually means uh, potable water orange is typically reserved for toxic and corrosive substances many of these colors are used for pipes and they're based on the pipe marking ANSI standard but you can use those also for identifying your energy isolation points in addition to color coding them it's important to reference these tags directly on your written lockout procedure or shutdown procedure for the specific equipment or the machine that you're locking out. Uh, that makes it easy to read the instruction and see the, let's say, the V1 symbol here that I'm using right next to the instruction. The energy isolation labels and tags make it easy to find the right isolation point. Um, and then once you find the right, once the maintenance person finds that isolation point that they've got to lockout our next task is to find the right device to lock it off. One method of accomplishing this is put the picture of the device directly on the tag, Um, possibly with a barcode so it could be scanned uh, as well as bring up more info if needed or maybe the procedure if needed or perhaps used in conjunction with some inspection software to verify that the machine, uh, the person is locking out is actually locked out that there's a, a separate verification step. So the label on the right kind of displays that gate valve device as the proper device to use to shut off that valve. It's another way to help ensure proper valve is shut, the proper valve is shut off and the correct device is used. Um, we all tend to take the path of least resistance to complete a task, especially when time is critical. And if we make it a simple and foolproof way of regarding which lockout device to use, it will obviously tend to be followed and adhered to um, better than when it's very difficult to, to find the correct device. All right. Um, with the advent of industrial link jet printers, we also have the capability to add photos to uh, padlocks, to lockout, safety lockout padlocks, to identify the owner of that padlock at a glance. This makes it easy to keep track of the padlocks and identify who placed their padlock on the isolation point. It's especially useful in group lockout situations or when multiple padlocks are placed on a HASP. Again, the picture adds the human element, makes safety more personal versus just another regulation to comply with. And the OSHA reg does require that lockout devices indicate the identity of the employee applying the devices. So a picture is a great way of communicating this. Um, the, there are several inkjet printers available, as I mentioned, that can custom print pictures and signs on pretty durable materials that have chemical resistance or that, you know, for harsher environments, can be covered with, let's say, a clear over-laminate. The printers typically range in price from about $1,700 for maybe a small printer to about $4,000 for a larger printer capable of 8 by 10 signs. So good to know. Keep that in the back of your mind, especially when you're looking to... Kind of take your visual workplace from what is historically just standard text on signs and labels to much more visual and impactful by including color, graphics, pictograms, and employees' uh, pictures on them. Um, so the common theme with these last three slides that I've, I've shown is making things more visual, right, whether it's the lockout tags, the lock labels, the signs, um, simply by adding pictures. and and making it more specific to your workplace, your work environment, or your situation. That kind of helps employees recognize immediately that this is not just a standard warning or a standard danger tag, but something that I should pay more attention to because they're talking specifically about my situation or about my equipment. All right, also when um, regarding safety lockout, it's important... Um, that you've got the needed supplies at the point of need or at the point of use. And this includes lockout procedures, right? It includes padlocks, devices, hasps, and tags. The last thing that you want is to have skilled maintenance personnel running back and forth, continually getting something needed before they can actually begin servicing that equipment. Thus, how supplies are packaged can help or hinder by saving you time. Um, we've recently added some new packaging options for our lockout tags, which puts the tags on a roll in a dispensing box that's complete with nylon ties. I think they're called rip tag, right, Anisia? Yes,
2: that's correct.
1: Um, so with rip tags, customers now have the choice of buying in small pack quantities of individual tags, and typically we've sold those in packs of like 25 tags, or now you can get them kind of on a, all tags on a roll in quantities of 100 or 250 tags on a roll. The beauty of this option is nice because you can take the entire box to the point of use, use only the tags that you need, and then simply return the box when done. You don't have this messy situation where opening up a pack of 25 tags and you only need 10 tags, or you only need 5 tags, and what do you do with the other tags? Well, then you put them back on the shelf and they tend to get misplaced or lost or whatever. Here, it's just a way of using packaging as a nice, convenient way to make it easier for the maintenance person to, to do what's required. All right, let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about arc flash. Many of us are familiar with those electrical panels that have the warning label on them, um, similar to what I'm showing here. It's called an arc flash label and advises the electrician working on that panel about the voltage and proper PPE equipment that must be worn when they're servicing that panel. The calculation to determine that is part of what's called an arc flash risk assessment. And that's usually done by an electrical engineer. Because we move equipment around a lot, we move our work cells around a lot for continuous improvement or upgrades or new equipment, it's important that we make sure any voltage or current changes to these panels are reflected on those warning labels. Here you typically want to engage a professional to come in, perform an audit and or risk assessment. This engineered analysis approach is is the preferred way versus just looking up the data, for example, in the NFPA 70E tables, because the tables are often applied without knowing things like the short-circuit current. It assumes fault-clearing times, which may lead workers to be either over- or under-protected. In a risk assessment, look for professionals who provide detailed reports, including what's called a one-line or single-line diagram. Ask your manufacturing engineer for the most current single line diagram. Unfortunately, many companies, uh, for many companies, these may be non-existent or they may not be kept up to date. What a single line diagram shows is essentially the power distribution path from the incoming power source to the facility to each downstream load. It's typically like a CAD or schematic drawing. That includes the ratings, sizes of each piece of electrical equipment, transformers, switch gears, circuit breakers, relays, transfer switches, etc. It's important to keep these diagrams up to date, and it's also a good idea to make sure that someone is assigned within your facilities for keeping this critical document up to date. That's what's going to make your Arc Flash labeling a lot easier. So if you're thinking about... um, arc flash risk assessments. Look for professionals that tend to use infrared thermography. These are the cameras that can see inside and kind of provide an x-ray type of image of heat, like a heat map, right, like that photo on the top. This can help locate hot spots with your your equipment, especially if your equipment's older and it may be uh, slightly corroded or have loose connections in it. It can identify those potential problems before they occur. And obviously repairs after Uh, thermographic inspection are typically lower in cost than waiting for a short circuit or a fault or a breakdown to occur so when it comes to reducing your risk with arc flash um, don't necessarily do it yourself it pays to engage the pros who've got the experience the right tools and who work from single line diagrams. all right so then once you have that complete let's talk a little bit about arc flash labels after the risk assessment is done, our next task is to create the label for those electrical panels. Whether you need ten labels or a thousand labels, you want to work with a supplier that's got sim- familiarity and can turn those labels around quickly. Per the NFPA 70E standard, the information that must be on those labels includes nominal system voltage, arc flash boundary, incident energy, or minimum arc rating of clothing or site-specific PPE. Look for suppliers that give you the option of ordering custom pre-printed labels or the DIY option of printing your own labels. I can't speak for other suppliers, but I do know that we use a simple spreadsheet to upload that variable information. So let's say you've got 350 different panels with different nominal voltage ratings on it. If you provide that spreadsheet to us, we've got an easy way to um, upload that, create those labels for you, and, and send them out so that they get formatted correctly. If you want to print it yourself, Again, here look for software programs that have got some smarts built into it that make it easy, like the GHS program I mentioned er earlier. Look for simple drop-down boxes, um, look for minimal text to fill in, and a logical sequence of questions so you can easily produce the label that you need and it matches the requirements of the regulation. For example, one of the nuances of the NFPA standard is that we must provide the incident energy or the minimum ARC rating of clothing, but not both. And that was, I believe, in the 2015 updated standard. So look for software that understands that distinction so you can't get it incorrect or wrong. All right, Um, when it comes to inventory labels, um, some of the easiest methods to improve things like pick and pack accuracy is using color on those labels and putting images on those labels. Most inventory labels that I've seen look like those on the left. It's got a part number, it's got a description, and it's got a barcode. In a warehouse and manufacturing environment where you see lots of shelves and lots of racking, um, that's typically all you see. And oftentimes those labels can get nicked, they can get torn, they can get dirty, they can get unreadable. The barcodes can become unreadable. Using a picture helps overcome the language barrier, and it kind of gets around if you can't if your scan doesn't quite scan on that barcode because it's nicked, you've got a visual picture that provides confirmation that the correct item is chosen, even if the barcode doesn't scan correctly. Um, And whether it's like finished goods that you see here or maybe work in process inventory, using color coding to help identify, let's say, your max and min um, levels, for example, if if you're in a Kanban system, Um, use color coding to identify when things are in the proper order or when they go astray from the proper order in this case um, this is a shelf showing max and min labels for um, storing how many cartons we need on a shelf at a particular time but organizing those different items by color coding just helps save time In the image on the right sizes are arranged by color so You can see the correct area from a distance without guessing or trial and error, Um, and it just makes things a whole lot easier and a whole lot faster in terms of um, all of your pickers and packers and people moving your inventory around your plant from um, raw materials to work in process to finished goods. All right, so I've done enough talking. I'm going to turn it over to my co-conspirator, Anisia, who is going to talk a little bit, or start on with uh, floor marking tape. Anisia. Hello,
2: everyone. As Tom stated, I'm going to kick this off my portion. I'm talking about floor marking tape. This is a great way to enhance productivity in the plant. With the right colors in the right places, you can easily keep workers on the right path. You wanna look at identifying equipment and storage areas, hazardous flooring and forklift traffic, traffic and more. I highly suggest implementing a useful color guide, such as the one I have here. This will help establish consistency in your workplace. Um, With this color guide, uh, the yellow is obviously the most common that we see, um, and the second most would be the yellow and black stripe tape. For marking tape, has actually become an OSHA regulation. So again, very important to look at this and consider um, what improvements and enhancements you can do at your place. You want to look for opportunities to create traffic awareness. Some examples of this um, could be aisle marking. You want to look where the forklift traffic is, um, possibly no entry areas, and any opportunities to establish um, directional flow whether it's, again, for uh, pedestrian walkways, process flow, um, forklift traffic, anything like that. There's a wide variety of products to do that, um, from everything from footprints and arrows and dashes to uh, just straight lines that you're putting down. Um, The pictures I have on this slide here are just some examples of um, how other people are implementing uh, floor tape in their site. Facility marking tape also really enhances the productivity with maximizing leave, lean and 5S areas or initiatives. Lean places high importance on evaluating and designing processes to eliminate waste, reduce lead times, and optimize productivity. The commonly heard goal in lean operations is that anyone should be able to walk into a plant and look at it, and within five minutes, be able to identify the basic steps and flow associated with what is being produced. This, of course, means properly identifying processes, work cells, and equipment. Lean also emphasizes the importance of identifying the linkages within processes, the upstream and the downstream components of the system. In addition to promoting speed and efficiency, this has also been a key important safety has key important safety ramifications. For example, many companies put a plaque or sign indicating the name or identification associated with each piece of equipment. So I'd like to I'd like you to look at the picture I have on the slide here. This is a great example of how someone was incorporating lean into their plants. You can see that all key items have yellow marking to denote the placement. Um, You could see aisleways are marked. And just again, a great example of how implementing lean into the work site um, just really increases productivity there and adds more awareness. Next, let's talk about signage. Really optimizing safety and productivity with signage. So best practice here is to increase the comprehension and safety. Driving into the specifics of the changes, you'll notice four key elements. I'm really um, bringing attention to this ANSI sign. It is best practice. More and more people are converting to the ANSI format. Um, As Tom had mentioned, there's really a diversified workforce out there, and this type of Um, ANSI sign appeals to that diversified workforce because it has the additional picto. There's four key elements with the ANSI sign. The first is the international alert symbol. The second is the solid color background in the header. The third is the explanatory text. And fourth, again, is that pictogram. If converting your signs to an ANSI format, it is important to be consistent. So, if you're going to start moving towards ANSI, it's important that you change all your signs to that ANSI format and not have a mix of OSHA and ANSI. Um, Again, best practice. This is just a comparison of the old and the new format side-by-side. Note the header change and expanded text and use of the pictogram. While well, signs are a big focus, i have also include a couple sample images of tags because this standard applies to them as well. So again, just a side-by-side comparison where you can see the difference and see how the new ANSI version really um, is a, a quick picture that anyone can look at and understand what that hazard is. So, evaluate the surrounding environment to ensure that you are picking the right material or type of sign for the application. For example, if it is an area that frequently has harsh washdowns or exposed to chemicals, then you want to go with a specialty sign that was designed for that application. You will not only be making sure employees remain safe with reliable signage where you need it, but you also Will offer cost savings, and then you won't have to keep replacing signs that are possibly failing. Also, look to make sure look for areas to use signage. For example, would be floors. Um, floor signage is very popular, and there's lots of different variations on how you can use floor signage within the plant. Um, the pictures here I show um, the sign on the wall there. That is an example of a Sign manufactured, especially for those harsh washdowns in any um, areas with a lot of chemicals. Um, You can see on the the very top there just a a quick little good butter bust (laughs) depiction of how um, things are progressing within um, the market in terms of signage. Next, let's talk about emergency egress. The most common regulations around emergency egress are the following. You have the Exit 29 CFR 1910, which states that each exit sign must have the word exit in plainly legible letters. Then you have the UL 924. This states that exit signs are to automatically supply illumination to critical areas in the event of failure of the normal power supply. This can be accomplished via electrical exit signs or more commonly, photoluminescent signs as they are more economical. Next, let's address floor marking per the IBC and IFC. Luminescent, glow-in-the-dark egress path markings are required for the full width of every stair and handrail. This applies to new and pre-existing buildings of five stories or more. I encourage you to reevaluate your exit areas and pathways to ensure you are compliant while other way- while evaluating other ways to incorporate additional products to boost awareness. As you can see here, we have some examples of photoluminescent signs, floor tape, um, options for, again, arrows, and other types of photoluminescent shapes. Next, let's move over to pipe markers. Focus on identifying pipes that are possibly not marked or properly identified. The ASME standard for pipe identification is a widely used guideline in determining pipe identification requirements. This standard is intended to establish a common system to assist in identifying the identification of hazardous materials conveyed in piping systems and their hazards when released into the environment. The classification above denotes the color classification and then also the areas of the pipe that should be marked. Again, I encourage you to reevaluate your pipes. Make sure all pipes are properly marked and labeled to create a better, safe work environment for your group. Okay. Um, The last topic I have is customization, and it's really to utilize customization to maximize safety and productivity. I cannot emphasize enough the value of using customization to create a safer and more productive work environment. The market for customization in the the pre-print product area for identification is growing year over year due to the value people see it bringing to manufacturing. By implementing customization, you will not only create a safer place, but you will ultimately increase efficiency. The pictures on the slide are just a few examples of how pipe markers, floor tape, and signage can easily be customized for you. A person does not have to stop and think about what that yellow tape across the aisle means. They have a quick pictogram and text explaining exactly that purpose. That is all I have today. And I'm going to turn it back over to Tim.
1: All right. Thanks, Anicia. Um, that customization is important, and that's really one of the keys to overall, one of the key overall themes of this presentation is really to take safety and productivity to the next level is really customizing it for your facility and your workplace. And I think, Anicia, when you look at, let's say, all of the preprinted signs and signage that um, we supply, I want to say somewhere close to like a third of it is customized. Is that right? Maybe 25% to a third?
2: Uh, That is correct.
1: So that's a pretty high number, and it's growing. And it kind of speaks to the importance that um, customers who get customization, how important that, that is to their facilities. So when you're thinking about customization, one of the questions that I know you guys have is, what's best for me, right? If I want to do custom labels or custom signs or custom tags or custom floor marking, what's the best approach to use? Well, this is um, a graphic that kind of tries to determine is it better to uh, buy pre-printed information from a supplier, your local supplier or Brady, for example, or is it better to invest in a printing system to print it ourselves? The good thing with Brady is obviously we do both, um, so we're typically indifferent whether you, you need to buy something pre-printed or, you, or you've got a, uh, a printing, print-on-demand solution that you want. This bell curve typically shows the cost of a 4x6 vinyl label. On the left hand, at low volumes, the cost to produce custom labels can range from about $1.50 to approximately $3.00 per label. So if you only need a few labels, um, it's going to be very difficult to justify, let's say, the cost of a printing system, a printer, um, for that small a quantity. Your best option is simply to go with your supplier um, that can get you those labels quickly and easily. At Brady, as I mentioned, I think about a quarter to a third of our pre-printed labels and signs are custom, and that number continues to grow. But let's say you're somewhere in the middle. You need um, somewhere between several hundred to several thousand custom labels over the course of the year. And those labels may range from what Anissia was showing, pipe labels to arc flash labels to other safety labels, other facility marking labels, or even lean 5S labels. Here your cost for a, that same 4x6 vinyl label will range from about $0.75 cents to $1.50 if you print it yourself. So it's about half the cost if you do it yourself. The other benefits that you get if you do it yourself is obviously you don't have the wait time for those labels to be delivered to you. You get them immediately. Um, plus you can save those label templates if you need to reprint those quickly and easily. They're typically saved in the in the software. Then on the right side, if you need lots and lots of labels, and I'm talking tens of thousands of labels, it's always gonna be cheaper if you, pre-print, or if you have those pre-printed rather than printing them on a printer. Because most of the printers, the industrial printers that are kind of the do-it-yourself systems or print-it-yourself systems, are not made for tens of thousands of labels. Certainly we can do uh, several thousand labels at a crack, but when you compare that to high-speed equipment that um, like flexographic printing or even some of the digital printing equipment that we've got internally, that 's very large equipment and it 's high speed and it 's very difficult to try to match the cost of of that. however, if you have a print um, if you have a need for hundred to several thousand labels, um, even if it 's within a, a week or a day, we do have some printers that are capable of doing say three to five thousand labels a, a day and printing it yourself. If you want something significantly higher than that though just know that typically high-speed, large equipment um, is made for that purpose. Um, So hopefully that gives you a little bit of guidance on um, whether you should look at maybe investing in a print system or purchasing the labels as as pre-printed. Another piece of data that I want to share with you, and this is really internal survey data that I'm I'm showing you guys. Um, It's based on a quantity of about 400 respondents. And so we were asking customers, when you're justifying the purchase of your first printer, what's most important to you um, or what's important in that category? And the top answers were saving cost. Obviously, I want to save the per-label cost um, for printing those custom labels. Um, Also, time. It saves time. It's convenient. I'm going to use it within my plant, so it's plant-wide use and better label content, i.e., customized content on the label. The interesting thing is when we asked them um, what was important when justifying the purchase of a second printer, then other things became important, things like better label content. They understood the quality and the value of having that unique customized label content on their label. That was important. Um, Things like it saves time, it's more convenient, I have exactly what I need when I need it became more important. So, those things kind of bubbled up to the surface. So, it's good that if you guys are looking at either buying a print system or buying pre printed labels, know that um, these are kind of the key things that um, people before you have looked at and have found important when they're looking to evaluate buying a, a print system. Okay. Um, in summary, so it looks like we've got, we're at right about the, uh, 10 minutes to the hour mark. Um, just know that obviously, to save time, to boost safety and productivity and awareness, the first thing is obviously we got to know the regulations and make sure that we we understand um, those regulations well. Incorporate lean and 5S principles in everything that you mark. So try to color code it. Try to put pictures on whatever it is you're marking. Um, try to move away from just text on a label where you can. Add those visuals where they don't exist. Follow the latest ANSI recommendations that um, Anissia recommended Um, and also customize your identification and marking where possible. Make it more specific to your facility, to your plant, to your workplace, and to your workers. Um, And then once you look at the sheer number of visuals that you need to produce, determine what's the most cost-effective solution for you. If it's something where you're printing hundreds to thousands of labels and you have a situation where it's a lot of different types of labels, it's a high mix, strongly look to um, bring in a print system for you with software that helps you save time and makes it easy to create those labels. We know that printing visuals and creating a visual workplace is typically not the core product that your workplace is providing. Um, That's kind of a vehicle to help you get there in a safe way So our goal is to make sure whatever system you choose, it's seamless, it's easy, it's fast, and it helps you get that job done without taking away um, what it is that's at your core that you're producing, the widget that you're selling, the product that you're you're providing to customers, et cetera. Um, And then, you know, look at um, what's most cost effective for you. And obviously, if you have any questions on helping you determine what's most cost effective, you can contact any of our um, sales representatives out in the field at Brady. You can certainly contact any of our valued distributor partners um, that we sell to. We'd be more than happy to come in and do a quick review of, uh, of what your needs are. All right, with that, I'm showing it looks like we've got about eight minutes left for questions, so I'm going to turn it back to Barry and uh, take it from there, see if we have any questions we can answer.
0: Great job, Tom and Anicia. Thanks so much for sharing your insights and your expertise today. Um, Folks, if you have a question, feel free to go ahead and enter it, uh, as we discussed earlier. Uh, Before we start the Q&A, though, I want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey. We're asking everyone to complete. Uh, The survey should be appearing on your screen right now. Your input is really important to us because it will help us improve future webcasts. If you do not see the evaluation survey on your screen, just go ahead and turn off your pop-up blocker. Uh, you may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right portion of your screen. So now let's go ahead and get to some questions here from our audience today. Our first question is, um, what are the best... Uh, Nisi, you mentioned uh, floor mark, floor markings. Uh, this person is asking, what are the best floor marking options for high traffic areas?
2: Sure. So for high traffic areas, especially where you have a lot of forklift traffic, I recommend a um, more heavy-duty floor tape. For example, something that's around um, 45 to 50 mil in thickness. Um, We have a a product that we launched uh, just for that application called Tough Stripe Max. And um, with that thicker um, type of product, you're going to have better cut resistance and also, the forklifts, as they're going across it, won't pick up that tape as easily um, as they would with something um, much thinner, um, so I would, I would recommend a, a floor tape, like I said, um, a 45 to 50 mil thick uh, floor tape for those applications.
0: Great. Thanks, Anisia. Tom, going back to our discussion about labels and signs, um, one of our uh, attendees today asks, uh, when looking for the right signs and labels for my facility, what are some key features to keep in mind?
1: So typically when we um, train our salespeople to go out and do walkthroughs with with a distributor or they're visiting an end-user facility and they're entering that facility for the first time, Um, have a methodical approach of the things that you're looking for in that facility. So before you even enter that facility, does the customer have proper signage in um, the the employee parking areas, for example? The entrances to that facility, are they properly marked? Um, And then once you get into the facility, are the exits properly marked, right? So look for the things that are like emergency exits and egress. If that facility had a fire, had an explosion, had a blackout, can people get out of that facility quickly and easily? Find out where all of the exits are and are they properly marked. Then take an approach from tops down, right? So when you typically look up at a facility inside of a manufacturing plant, let's say you're going to see a lot of piping and maybe a lot of electrical buses and connections. Make sure that those are properly marked, especially if you have hazardous chemicals going through those pipes. Uh, Make a note of that. And then as you gaze down and you're looking at eye level, typically that's where your fire extinguishers are going to be and some of your emergency equipment and AEDs and things. Make sure those are properly identified and marked as well. In some cases, you have to because of the fire extinguishers. Um, In other cases, um, you're going to see electrical panels at that level as well. Make sure that they have the arc flash labels and things like that. And make sure that the appropriate labels are there at the point of need? Um, one of the things that I had heard somebody else speak a few years back is um, they did an analysis of. Um, it was at Disney World when you're going on a ride at Disney World, you typically get into the line, and some of the rides at Disney World had this huge sign that had about 28 different bullet points on it about everything that's required, everything that um, you can expect on the ride, and they kind of went through and said, you know, that's, nobody's going to read that because there's way too much information there. So divide the information up that you only need at the point of need. Don't tell me about a pinch point, you know, 10 feet before I get to a machine. Tell me when I'm working on that machine, show me where that pinch point is, have it labeled appro- appropriately so I know immediately where that pinch point is. Make it more relevant to, to my situation. And then as you kind of gaze down from – a mid-level view, look at the floor and see how the floor is marked. Are the pedestrian areas marked appropriately? Um, are the the work and process inventory areas identified? Are there areas where I should not walk, for example, identified? And let me know where the danger zones are. Let me know where the um, the prohibited area is around an electrical panel for arc flash. Is it properly marked on the floor where I can go and where I can't go? And make sure that those things are bright. Make sure they're clean. Make sure they're visual. And the more you can make it specific to your facility, the more impactful it will be. But take a methodical approach to walking through your individual facilities from the outside <clears throat> all the way to the inside, looking typically how we read from tops from top down.
0: Great, thank you, Tom. Uh, we had a question come in regarding assessments. Uh, this attendee would like to know: Does a full assessment need to be conducted every five years, or just a review? And who in the organization can perform the review?
1: Um, good question. Um, no, an assessment does not need to be created or, or every five years, but it needs to be reviewed every. Or what the, OSHA, what the NFPA standard says, and I believe it's section 130.5 of the NFPA 70E. It says the assessment shall be reviewed at intervals not to exceed five years. So it just has to be reviewed, and it has to be reviewed by a qualified person. Um, And the qualified person is usually a professional engineer, usually an electrical engineer, but it kind of varies by state. Um, For example, I believe in the state of Florida, um, you don't have to have a professional engineer for things under 600 amps that are residential or 1,000 amps if it's commercial. I believe I've got that right. Don't quote me for sure. But I think it's going to vary a little bit state to state um, um, as to whether you would actually need an engineer or not. Um, in many cases, though, it's always good to resort to the more conservative approach and have a professional engineer come in and and do that um, assessment. And obviously for any type of an arc flash uh, uh, risk or do that evaluation and review, but for an arc flash risk assessment, it's always good to have um, a professional engineer come in and and do that versus doing it yourself.
0: Thank you, Tom. Uh, Anissi, we had a question come in uh, from an attendee uh, just looking for your thoughts about floor tape versus floor paint. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Sure, um, that's, a, that's a good question. So, when it comes to floor tape versus floor paint, it really comes down to how frequent are you changing your floor marking. So, for example, we have a lot of um, our customers who need to change floor marking as often as every, you know, six months because of um, new 5S lean um, walkthroughs and things like that. Then tape is a really good idea. Paint, paint as if you are not changing your floor marking for a very long period of time. That's when I would, I would suggest me.
1: <clears throat> and we've seen, typically, a lot of customers will change their equipment or move their facility equipment around about every two to three years. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes for continuous improvement, right? You want to move a piece of equipment in a facility from maybe one area to another because it's going to speed the workflow of that area. So a lot of times the the floor marking might be pulled up and replaced within about, you know, a two- to three-year time frame. So in those cases, it's usually better to uh, pursue floor tape than it is paint because, as Anissia said, paint tends to be a lot more permanent. And then with paint, oftentimes you may have to rough up the surface to get the paint to adhere, um, and you may have to sandblast it to get all of that paint off the surface. So there's more prep work. More drying time if you're using paint as well, so it's it's a little bit more more difficult um, to remove, and it tends to be more permanent, as Anisia mentioned.
0: Okay. Great to know. Well, thank you, Tom and Anicia. Unfortunately, we've run out of time today. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to our speakers. Uh, Once again, I hope you all take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen and give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank our terrific speakers, Tom Smith and Anicia Peterman, everyone at Brady Corporation, and all of you who listened in today. Have a safe day, everyone.